Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,527. What I'm doing now getting me where I want to go. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I'm revved up and very excited to share with you today somebody very special, Dick Bergren. He'll be calling in from Holly Hill, Florida. Dick Bergren has been a college professor, earning a PhD in psychology at Tufts University, racetrack PA announcer, radio announcer, and a TV announcer covering big league NASCAR for over 30 years. As a race car driver, he won 23 feature events, most of them driving in sprint cars. He edited Stock Car Magazine for 23 years, and he founded Open Wheel and Speedway Illustrated Magazine. He headed the group that raised the funds to build the Northeast Motor Sports Museum in Loudoun, New Hampshire, that is, which opened in 2017. Dick is a frequent MC at racing award dinners and has earned numerous awards for his journalism and his contributions to racing. We'll be back in a minute to talk with Dick. But first, a word from our valued sponsors who make Cars Yeah possible. We'll be right back. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy on, easy off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you a Cars Yeah subscriber? If you're not, go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button, and I'll send you my free filler up book. It's a very cool book I created of fuel filler fun, some very cool imagery, and great quotes from past guests here on Cars Yeah. Plus, you'll get my weekly email follow-up and my weekly blog. Just go to carsyad.com, click on the free book button, and I'll send it to you right away. Thanks for subscribing. Hey, Dick, welcome to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm pulling down on my shoulder straps. I'm ready to go, Mark. All right. I'll try to keep it with the sunny, our sunny side, shiny side up and the sunny side up, I guess would be the best way to say that. I'd like to start this by asking you, I mean, you have such a incredibly rounded, rich a life. What's one thing that maybe most people don't know about you? My mother wanted me to be a minister. She said I had a good speaking voice. Never mind that I wasn't a religious person at all, but she yeah. <laughs> thought that I would make a fine minister because I could, I could come out with, <laughs> with some baloney and project and that sort of thing. I am so glad I didn't follow what she wanted me to do, and I, instead I followed what I wanted to do. Yeah, a life around race cars. Now, 
Doug Stokes, who's a listener here, and he's been a, a great helper to me to find some marvelous people. He tells me something else about you, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but back in January of this year, you were awarded NASCAR's Squire Hall Award, is that right? Yes, yes. Uh, in the business of motorsports journalism, that's considered the highest honor you can get. It's delivered at the same time as the Hall of Fame ceremonies in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, and it was absolutely the highlight of my career, uh, no doubt about that. Well, Doug said you probably wouldn't mention that because you're a pretty humble guy, but I wanted to bring it up. And kudos and congratulations for an incredible honor. Um, I'll tell our listeners that you're the only, the ninth person to be awarded this. Uh, other names include, of course, the great Chris Economy Mackey, along with Ken Squire and Barney Hall, uh, the two veteran sportscasters uh, for whom the award was named. So congratulations for that. That's absolutely phenomenal. It was it was an incredible day uh, in Charlotte. It just seemed to go on and on uh, with the various things that the committee had planned and, and made happen. And as I walked back to my hotel, I was thinking about all those nights when I would land at Boston Logan Airport at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning after having been up at 5 or 6 in the morning and then done a live race on television on Fox. And as so tired, as tired as I was, I got thinking, my golly, all those nights were really worth it, weren't they? Yeah. I was on my yeah. way back to the hotel after the event. That's fantastic. Well, this is what happens when you wrap your passion around your life and your career is uh, no matter how many hours or what it takes, uh, you do it because of the passion and because of the love. Well, let's start with a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a Nice way to get the inspirational tires smoking here on cars. Yeah, you've been around enough tracks to witness that. So, Dick, perhaps a wheel. <laughs> well, I guess the wheel is going to be from a book that Robert Townsend wrote. It was a book that I read when I was a freshman in college. He, at the time, was the head of the Avis car rental company, and he had thoroughly turned that company around. When Townsend had been hired to run it, uh, Avis was right on the edge of going completely out of business. The book was very inspirational in many ways, but one of the things that Townsend reminded himself frequently of, I thought enough of that I still have a sign on my wall in front of where I sit behind my computer, and it says, is what I'm doing now getting me where I want to go? Is what I'm doing now getting me where I want to go? Make sure to form goals. If you don't have goals, you better come up with some because you're never going to make them if you don't. And then if you frequently remind yourself of those goals and what you're doing at the moment, uh, I, I think it, it, it certainly has helped keep me focused for a very long period of time. Uh, and it's a slogan I recommend to your audience. You know, that's a fantastic one. I'm familiar with him, but I wasn't familiar with that quote. And it's oh so true. I talk with people sometimes who are challenged with things and I always ask them something similar. I said, well, where do you want to end up? Instead of focusing on where they are right now, where do you want to end up? And it, it's the same with racing. You raced for a long time, and I raced vintage cars for 12 years. And I remember driving instructors telling me the same thing. You always want to head up. I always hear that in my ear. Head up, head up. Look yeah. out where you want to go, not where you are. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Uh, you've got to look at the future because it's coming no matter what. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's for sure. Well, 
How have you incorporated that into the incredibly rounded and rich life that you have? I mentioned that earlier. I mean, PhD in psychology, uh, doing announcing, you raced for many years, all these different things that you did. Is there a way that you can, with, it's hard to do in a half hour show here, but define how you took that concept and focus it on the many different facets of your life and your career? Oh, sure. It's a question I ask myself virtually every day. I mean, I can be I can be on my, my motorcycle going off somewhere, or I could be writing a proposal for grant money for the museum, or writing a story for Speedway Illustrated, and it'll come to me. Or I'll look up from my computer and I'll see the uh, the message on the wall. Is what I'm doing now getting me where I want to go? And it's it's been that way all along. I mean, nice and in the garage working on the car is what I'm doing now getting me where I want to go. Well, if I was if I was adjusting the valves in the engine and maybe I should have instead been dealing with the shock absorber problem we've got, I might stop messing with the valves and start messing with shock absorbers. It really is a very effective way of forcing for me it is, of forcing me to do what I need to do to resolve whatever problems it is that I'm working on. Yeah. Another thing I've heard that kind of relates to this is the quote, swallow that frog. If you have something you have to do in a day and you just don't want to do it. You know what happens when you procrastinate. It it just it never goes away. So I've heard that where you get up in the morning, swallow that frog, just get it over with, and move on. Well, I'm not very good at that. Uh, there are days when I <laughs> days when I get up, and uh, most days I I make a list for myself. And I'm looking right now at my list from yesterday, Monday. I've got three items crossed off. One, two, three, four, five. Six items untouched and one checked. I got the phone message in, but that's as far as it got. I don't ordinarily uh, get everything done that I try to do, but by golly, I'll start the day with a list of things in, on most days and, and try to yeah. get as many of them done as I can. Yeah, it's a great way. I, you know, I've interviewed so many incredibly successful people that use that method, the list method. I do the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure glad that you checked off the one call Mark Green at Cars Yeah today so we can inspire some, some other folks. So uh, that's a good thing to get get uh, going. Well, let's talk a, about your life these days. One thing I'd love for you to talk about is the museum, uh, mm. Northeast Motorsports Museum, what you're doing there, what that's all about. And then anything else you want to talk about that really has you excited and fired up about your life these days? All right. Well, let's start with the museum because that's what's taking up the majority of my time other than uh, walking the dog, which gets an hour every day, no matter what. Back when I was still doing television, we had a, uh, a vintage event at New Hampshire Motor Speedway each year that was called the Vintage Celebration. Vic Urardi was the guy who ran it, and I, I thought very highly of Vic. And, and one day he came to me and he said, you know, Dick, New England is losing its racing heritage. People die. Nobody knows what to do with grandpa's scrapbooks, pictures of old race cars, and they get thrown away. And sometimes those pictures are the only ones. He said cars are being cut up because people don't have room to store them and they're not competitive anymore. We need a museum, and you're the guy to build it. Now, I don't know how many people he said that story to that day, but I do know at the time, but the rest of us didn't know it at the time. Uh, he had cancer and, and was on his way out. I suspect he went to a lot of people that day and tried to get that museum built. But I was the guy that raised his hand and said, well, okay, I'll try to take it on. Uh, we started with a proposal for Bob Bear, which he immediately rejected. Why do I need a museum? I'm so old. I could be a museum myself, he said that day. 
when I finished my television career, I sort of asked myself, what should I be doing with my time? And I thought the museum was a worthwhile project. So I went out and basically uh, got incorporated a name, uh, managed to get that incorporation as a 501c3 nonprofit so people who donated money to the museum could get a, an income tax break. Went out and found uh, people that I wanted to have on the board of directors to help me and help guide the project, and off we went. We started raising money. Uh, didn't do very well at that. It's pretty hard when all you've got is a drawing and a dream to raise a lot of money, and we thought we needed $800,000 to build the museum. Stanley Warren was the guy who stepped up. Uh, Bentley came to me with a check for $40,000, and he said, Dick, you tell everybody what I've done. Well, Bentley is not only one of New England's finest ever supermodified drivers, maybe the best we ever had. He's also an incredibly successful businessman, having created a sand and gravel operation out of nothing that's now one of the biggest uh, in Massachusetts. He also has the most successful biker bar in New England, Bentley's Saloon in Arundel, Maine. And just like the sand and gravel operation, it started out a little one-room bar room, and now it's the, the largest seller of beer on any given summer weekend. So oh Bentley's gosh. done it. Yeah, he's done incredibly well. He gave me that $40,000 check, and he said to me something that just truly surprised me. He said, Dick, you tell everybody what I've just done. You tell them Bentley Warren gave you $40,000 for that museum. And it was so out of character. He's helped so many people so many times. And don't tell anybody what I just did would be what he would say in conclusion. This one, he wanted me to broadcast it. And I said, Bentley, what? this is not you. Why are you doing this? He said, trust me. And I did. And I started telling people, hey, we just got a $40,000 check from Bentley Warren. All of a sudden, here came a $25,000 check. Not long after that, because I was not able to talk about a $40,000 donation and a $25,000 donation, we got a fifteen. Now I could talk about 40000 that got matched with another 40000 and we were on our way. That was the pivotal moment. Uh, in building a museum that captures the history of auto racing in New England. Motorcycle racing, too. We really got it going in, a, in about 2014, 2015, and uh, we held a groundbreaking ceremony uh, in 2015 and opened up debt-free with money in the bank in 2017. And I got a chance to go around to all the people who said, you guys are never going to get that thing built. I'm not contributing a dime to that thing. Uh, I've gone around to those people and said, now it's time for you to make a contribution and, right. and help, help, us, up. <laughs> help us yeah, help us persevere because you wouldn't because you said we couldn't do it. Well, by golly, we did it. Uh, it's a museum that's really focused on New England. Uh, we have a huge amount of racing history there. Uh, the first oval track race in the United States happened in 1896 in Cranston, Rhode Island on a dirt horse track. In 1896? 1896. Uh, oh we, held, we held the world land speed record in 1906. A Stanley steamer built by the Stanley Brothers from Maine came down to Ormond Beach, Florida, and uh, managed to get a speed of 127 miles an hour average over two miles. That's the fastest anybody had ever driven a car anywhere in the world. So in New England, we held the land speed record. New England also had the first ever purpose-built road course, Thompson in 1952, opened a road course uh, so people could race in a safer environment than racing on public streets. 
We also had one of the board tracks, a track made completely out of lumber, built in 1925 in Salem, New Hampshire. 49-degree banking, speeds of 140 miles an hour were common. This is in 1925. So we've got a lot of history, an awful lot of history. We've also got two Daytona 500 winners, two Daytona 500 champions. It's got a lot of history, a lot of history. Yeah, you know, I had no idea of all that history. That's absolutely fascinating. I'll remind our listeners, you can go to their website, which is nemsmuseum.com, and you can find out uh, all the different things they have there. It's a really fun site, some very cool cars. If you find yourself in that part of the country, uh, definitely a museum worth going to. I was involved in the LeMay Museum from the beginning here that's very near where I live, and looking at what it took to get that place built, all the ups and downs and trials and tribulations and government bureaucracy and the money, <laughs> to mention the money, uh, it's just, you know, kudos to you and your team for what you guys pulled off, because that is no easy thing to do, uh, for sure. We escaped the government bureaucracy. Early on in the program, I went to senators and, and representatives and anybody I could find, and they all said the same thing. We're not going to help you. And they didn't. We haven't received 10 cents from the government at any level. Uh, this is a museum that was paid for, and it's maintained by people who love automobile racing. Wow. Well, kudos to everybody involved. What a rich history. Fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit about your life. And I'd love for you to bring up a challenge or even a failure you faced along the way. This isn't so much about drumming up the past that might not feel so good. It's more about the lesson that you learned from that situation and how you came out in a positive way so that maybe somebody else out there listening that's dealing with the same thing sees some light at the end of the tunnel. So take us there, would you? Yeah, uh, I'm going to do two, and I'll make it brief on both of them rather than going long on one. I tried only once in my life to win a track championship. When I was racing sprint cars and super modifieds, I was also uh, either doing television or I was uh, editing uh, an auto racing magazine sometimes, too. And I really couldn't run every race. Well, I took one year in which I ran every single race, and I cost myself the championship. There were two separate occasions where I worked on the engine of the car and uh, didn't get it right. Uh, the one that sticks out in my mind the most is when I was adjusting the valves and didn't tighten the, the uh, set screw on one of them, and they valve, the, the push rod backed off during the running of a race in which I was leading. And with only seven cylinders, I lost the race, and I lost the championship along with it. The lesson there was do what you do best. Do what you do well. And I wasn't good with wrenches, and I wasn't good with tools. Uh, where I was good uh, was driving evil cars as uh, fast as they could possibly go and finding people who would help me uh, get there. So uh, that's that's pretty much what I focused on. The other huge challenge was starting Speedway Illustrated magazine. I was the editor of, of Stock Car Racing Magazine and, and founded Open Wheel Magazine, and we were part of a group of, of four magazines that were owned by Adrian Lopez, who then sold them to Bob Guccione. He had penthouse fame. In 1999, Guccione sold all of those magazines because he was in deep financial trouble. The company that bought it uh, was a company that itself was in the process of being bought, and they decided in their infinite wisdom not to hire any of the people who had been with the magazine before. This despite the fact that Stock Car was by far the most financially successful auto racing magazine the world had ever seen. So they dumped us all 
So here I had all these people, uh, writers, photographers, ad salespeople, art directors. I had all these people who suddenly lost their jobs. And it seemed to me, if you wanted to have a good business, you better have good people. And I figured with a complete team ready to go, it ought to be easy to sell. Well, it wasn't. Uh, I spent a long time, almost seven months, running all over this country with an attache case and business plans, trying to persuade people to give this group another opportunity in life, uh, hire them all, and let us make auto racing magazines that will make you wealthy. Well, we finally found the guy to do it, and it was in the 11th hour, uh, to the point that two weeks before, I had called everybody and hung my head and said, I'm sorry, I failed you. I can't find the money. You all have to get jobs now. Thanks for holding out. I'm just sorry we couldn't make it. There was a message in, in, in what happened, and I guess maybe I should have known it before. One of the Chevrolet brothers, uh, a bust of him, is in the, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's just outside the museum, and the caption underneath it simply reads, never give up. I think there are times when you do have to give up. If your house is on fire and you're standing on the kitchen, standing in the kitchen yelling at it, that's probably not going to work out well. But I think for a project like the one we had, I, I should have kept going just a little bit longer. But as it turned out, uh, we did get the money. Uh, we launched Speedway Illustrated, and in June, uh, we'll have the 20th anniversary of Speedway Illustrated magazine. Wow. What an incredible story! You know, as you were telling the second story. What came to mind were those words, never give up. And I've interviewed yeah. hundreds really? of racers on the show. Yeah, <laughs> wow. absolutely. And it was because I've interviewed hundreds of racers on this show, and yeah. that's their quote. That's every racer's quote. You just can't give up. And you watch all these races. You raced. You know, you might be in fourth place, and those three guys in front of you could do something silly, and all of a sudden you cross the checkered flag. So, yeah, it's an amazing story. And, you know, Congratulations for pull, for pulling a rabbit out of that hat. Holy cow. Well, yeah, but then then we had to deliver. And and the people who had stuck it out with me, they're the ones that really pulled it off because if they had already scattered to various jobs here there and everywhere, the main thing I had going for me was I had all these people. And and for those who say any successful business is about the people who are there, that's all I had. And if they had left, if they'd gotten jobs elsewhere, uh, if they'd given up earlier, we wouldn't have made it. So I think that's where the credit really needs to go. Well, uh, and the credit, again, there's your humbleness, Dick. The credit to you that these people stood behind you. They they saw what you were doing and stuck with it uh, because a lot of people would be a tough thing to do. You, know, you need a job. you got to feed your family. And yeah. um, you just say, sorry, I can't just keep doing this. But the fact that they had faith in you. So what a wonderful story. Heartwarming story. Absolutely fantastic. Congratulations on year 22. That's just brilliant. Let's take a short break. Thank our sponsors. And we will be right back. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for the enthusiast and the collector. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car, have two cars, or 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Plus, you'll get the exclusive SEM guide to restoration shops included for free. At checkout, use the code CARSYA and receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription. It's an exclusive offer from me here at Cars Yeah. 
I'm Mark Green, and I love Sports Car Market Magazine. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at com. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting. But what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars yeah, has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. All right, we are back, and I'd love for you to share a story with us that instigated this passion you have for cars and racing. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were indeed going to be a car guy? Yeah, uh, I was eight years old, and my father took me to Stafford Speedway in Connecticut. And it is said that an alcoholic remembers his first drink. I remember that day and everything about it as if it happened this morning. And, And I think when I... When I went there and I saw what I saw, those cars with all the color and all the drama and all the noise, it was just the most incredible thing. And I wanted to be involved in it. And I wanted to go to the races every single weekend. That was the pivotal moment, uh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> the car that won it had the tiniest little body and a huge straight eight Buick engine at the time. Uh, we're talking about early 1950s. Whitey Brainerd drove the number 43. Uh, and right behind him was, was Art Rock and Roll Russo. And the incredible thing was that Art Russo drove a car that came right out of the same town I lived in. And it said so on the side of the car. Manchester, Connecticut. And um, Art Russo quickly became uh, my favorite driver. And uh, we maintained a relationship until the day he died. Isn't that cool? Wow, that is fantastic. Well, let's talk about your first vehicle. Now, this could be the first cool car you got or the first race car that you finally strapped yourself into and went, man, I can't believe I'm here. What was that? And share, share a memory you have about that ride. Well, let's start out with the first race car. Uh, at the okay. time, I was in graduate stu- uh, student, and I really didn't make a lot of money doing that. My wife was a librarian at Tufts, and she didn't make much money either. But I had just this desperate, desperate need to race cars. And I found a car that was for sale for $225 in West Hartford, Connecticut. And by golly, it even came with a spare tire. The process of trying to get that car this was in the fall. There were only two race weekends left at the Speedway. So I had to get the car on the day that I found it. 
And uh, trying to persuade this guy to accept my check was no small order, but he knew somebody at a pharmacy that would accept the check. So we went to the pharmacy together, and sure enough, they accepted the check. Uh, I borrowed a trailer and towed it home. And the next weekend, I became a race car driver at Stafford Speedway. The car's number was not, that was part of the deal. I had to keep the car number. Car number was 9L. Uh, this guy's nickname was Harry the Cat. Uh, his name was Harry Urbanski. So it was for the nine lives of Harry the Cat. And he was in it for owner points. So I ran the last two races with that 9L number. I, I never ran 9L after that, but I did those yeah. two. What was the car? It was a Studebaker. It was a, Studebaker. a, a bone stock Studebaker. Yeah. Uh, this At the time, they were running, I mean, really stock streetcars. Take the headlights out, put a roll cage in, and off you go. Uh, and, wow. and that that was me. That's where I started. Oh, yeah, I'd have to take the muffler off to make it loud. Uh, and I ran that car, those two races at Stafford. Uh, and then we, over the winter, we painted it and tuned it up a little bit. And uh, I ran a year at Lebanon Valley Speedway with the car. And then finally, we just, nobody wanted it. <laughs> so it wound up sitting in the lumberyard that I worked at on weekends. And eventually they called and said, this uh, old car of yours has been here for a long time and we want to get rid of it. If you want it, you've got to come get it in the next two weeks or we're going to scrap it. I said, scrap it. And that's what happened what to it. What year would that Studebaker have been? 53, 1953. 1953. Wow. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> well, what a fun story. Now, you were going to talk about a second ride, too, a car. Yeah, well, the second ride, I guess, was my first brand new car. Uh, as a, a, a graduation gift, uh, my dad bought me a 65 Mustang convertible with four on the floor. And what a sweetheart car it was, white convertible. Boy, I'll tell you, we were styling when we drove that thing. Yeah, no kidding. Well, those are those are great. Uh, just right after the launch, the 64 and a half Mustang. Yeah, you were right there in the midst of it. So how? what a nice graduation present, too. That's pretty darn cool. Well, I want to get into your head a little bit here, Dick. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a car, either a street car or a race car, you were manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a vehicle, what would Dick be and why? It's hard It's hard to separate myself from the, the car that's my fantasy car, which is a, an early Bugatti, uh, oh, an wow. early Bugatti Type 35 or Type 37, any of those. I, I would love to have a Bugatti somehow or another, or if I can't have one, I'd like to be one. Uh, the people who own them uh, treasure those cars and take incredibly good care of them. Many people get a Bugatti and they keep it until the day they die and it's in their will to somebody else that's going to take really good care of it. I like being taken good care of and being thought of highly <laughs> and having people yeah. wanting me around. Uh, so I would say a Type 35 or Type 37 Bugatti would be me. Yeah, a pretty darn cool car. I mean, iconic car, very cool. Have you ever heard of the company Persang, where they make replicas down in South America of those cars? No, I haven't heard that, but certainly the Bugatti, to, Bugatti yeah. name is still out there. Uh, and yeah. uh, the, the Bugatti Biron uh, has from time to time been the fastest street legal car in the world. It doesn't have that record now, but they're building a new one uh, to try and recapture that record. Yeah, I had uh, one of the gentlemen, he doesn't work there anymore, but worked there per saying it's an interesting company. I ran yes. across him during car week in Pebble Beach, and I saw a Bugatti. I thought it was an old Type 35 sitting there, and I went over, and turns out this company is remaking them exactly how they were made way back when. And I ended up buying one of their vices, because Ooh. they're also remanufacturing Bugatti vices, 
but your beautiful works of art. I mean, imagine Tori Bugatti, the design, you know, yeah. uh, really fantastic. So they're casting all the parts and making all the parts uh, a little bit ex- less expensive than original cars for sure. And you can actually license them and drive them on the street, which is kind of cool too. So uh, yeah, I'll have to send you a link to that website. I know I've seen knockoffs uh, of the early Bugattis, uh, and I mean, they're, they're not a good reproduction. You can tell immediately that it's not really a Bugatti, but uh, you sound like somebody that knows a bit about those cars. If you've been to the Mullen Museum in Oxnard, uh, that place is that place is full of not only Bugatti cars, but also Bugatti manufactured furniture. Now, I flew out to California just to go to an exhibit at the Mullen uh, that was called The Art of the Bugatti. And, and yes. I'll tell you, uh-huh. it was, they had maybe 50 Bugattis on the floor. Yeah, Peter, <laughs> Peter Mullen's been a guest here on the show. Uh, absolutely fantastic what he's done there. Have you ever been able to visit the Schumpf Museum in France with all the Bugattis? No, that was, that was, no, no. You got to go. Never, you got to go. Been, you, never been to you'll France. You'll be blown away. Yeah, <laughs> you'll be blown away. It's yeah. just well, insane. Now, Mullen bought, Mullen bought a bunch of those cars. I don't think the, the I don't think the Schlumpf exists anymore. Um, well, I, there's still I, a museum I can't museum guarantee there. that. But is there? There's still, a, yeah, there's still a museum there that has a lot of Bugatti history and so forth. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic, but, uh, this uh, Persang vehicle is a dead-on knockoff. It's it's not like the fiberglass body on a VW or something like that. I've seen those before, too. This is cool. I'll send you a link to it. It's it's pretty spectacular. Please do, yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Dick, we are entering the last lap. You've been on many a last laps in your life. The white flag is out. Checker flag is in the distance. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that early Bugatti throttle. So here we go. Would you share one of your uh, personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your many successes throughout life? Roger Penske's motto is effort equals results. And I Uh, think the fact that I have put so much effort into what I do, uh, whether it's doing a television broadcast or writing a story for the magazine or trying to raise money to found a museum, the amount of time, the amount of energy, the amount of effort I put into things, I think has been really a major factor in, in, in what's happened to my life. Well, Penske, there's a guy that, uh, yeah, incredible, incredible life. Yes. I love that quote. Yes. It's fantastic. How about if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? Big Bill France. Bill France, the original. I would love to hear more of his stories, as he put it, uh, about starting NASCAR, about the beach road course races he used to promote and drive in, where he got the guts and the money to put together the Daytona Speedway. I did get a chance to interview him on a couple of occasions, and and each time the interview ended, it it was a disappointment because I just wanted to keep hearing his stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he was a fantastic storyteller. And and what he went through to accomplish what he did in his life is just amazing. So, yeah, a beer with Big Bill France. That would be cool. Yeah, I'd like to join you for that one. How about the best automotive advice or racing advice you've ever received from someone else? Oh, that's easy. Races are won and lost in the garage. Ah, uh, Yeah, being prepared. You know, I do a weekly blog, and my blog today, on all you listeners out there that haven't subscribed, go to carsyad.com and Click the free book button. I'll send you my free filler up book. Well, my blog today is about, well, it's actually titled On Being Prepared. And it talks a bit about the current situation we're going through right now with this virus and 
I think if one thing it's teaching many, many people, I hope it does, is to be a little better prepared in all walks of life for the unknown that we don't know might be coming our way. So, uh, yeah, be prepared. The old Boy Scout motto, I think. Motto, I think yeah. it was. Yeah it, yeah, it was. And I was a Boy Scout. So, yeah, we were prepared. Yep, always. How about a resource? Is there a resource out there that you found that you like that you could share with our listeners? Absolutely. Speedway Illustrated, available only by subscription. But if you go to the SpeedwayIllustrated.com website, you can subscribe there. Uh, it's really the only magazine left in the United States that covers the full breadth of uh, local level short track racing. And uh, great stories in there about technology, about the people who are successful, uh, the people who are just plain interesting that participate in, in these events, uh, where the sport is going. I don't have any money in it, but by golly, it's I'm very proud of it. The guys that are running it now uh, are doing a wonderful job, and I can't tell you how strongly I recommend it, but it's pretty darn strongly. There you go. Yeah, it sounds like it. How about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners should crack open and read? Uh, well, your listeners, unless they've got quite a bit of money, aren't going to be able to crack it open and read it. But I, my, the book I finished most recently is a book called Racing Through Life by John Fitch. John Fitch was a, a guy who grew up in Connecticut and had an, an, just an incredible life. Uh, he raced sports cars literally all over the world, uh, everything from the Mexican road race to the Mille Miglia in Italy, which is a thousand mile race over public highways. Those orange barrels that you see piled in front of uh, things that you don't want your car to hit on the highway, those impact absorbing barriers, John Fitch invented those. He's the guy that designed uh, the road course uh, at Lime Rock Park uh, in Connecticut. It's just an incredible story, and it's all told in a book called Racing Through Life. And knowing you were going to ask that question, I looked it up on Amazon to see if a copy was available, and indeed one is. The price, $1,012. Oh, oh, yeah. The, the, yeah, I bought, <laughs> I bought the book, I don't know, probably six months ago, and I paid, I don't know, $170 for it or something, which was the most expensive book, almost the most expensive book I've ever bought. But it, it's just beautifully written, and the stories of his life and how it went are, are incredibly well told. So that's a good one. There you go. You know, some of those books that are so valuable, I wonder if they're out there somewhere uh, where people can find it online at least and read it that way. But um, you run across some of these out-of-print old books that you can find. I always say visit old bookstores, and, you know, if you like to go to garage sales, you never know. You might find one sitting yeah. there. I know that— uh, when I leave this planet, my kids are going to have thousand plus books that they're going to have to deal with, and they're probably going to roll their eyes and say, "Thanks a lot, Dad." Uh, <laughs> somebody's going to, somebody's going to walk up to that garage sale and go, "I hit the holy grail of car books! Holy cow, this guy really liked cars!" So, yeah, it's great. Uh, Racing through life. I've heard of that book. I don't have a copy, unfortunately, but uh, you listeners out there, start looking. There's a great opportunity for you. All right, we are up to the checkered flag here, a place you've been many times, a flag you've seen many times. I'm going to buy you a very cool collector card today, Dick. You've been such a great guest. That's your reward, but there's some rules to this little game. One is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with or fund the museum with. You have to drive it. No garage queens allowed around here. But here's the kicker. It's the only one cool collector car you can own, so choose wisely. So I, you know what the answer is going to be. It'd be a Type 35 Bugatti in blue. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> that figured would be we'd it. be back to that one. Yeah, 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 we are. Well, that's okay. 
I'm going to send you a picture, an email. I was, I had a, a friend up here in the Northwest who has one of those cars. And we were at the LeMay Museum. They had a car show and they invited a bunch of us. And I have my, my 1987 turbo parked next to that Bugatti. And they look so wild together. You know, the different designs with the beautiful LeMay Museum in the background. I'm going to send you a picture of that. Oh, please uh, we, do. Were the, yeah. we were the first to arrive early in the morning. The sun was coming up. It was quite beautiful. But I would love mo- nothing more than to park one of those in your garage and, and look at the smile on your face when you raced off down the street in that thing. That's pretty darn cool. Well, you've taken us on a wonderful ride today. I knew you would. Is there a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer our listeners before you race off into the sunset on that beautiful Type 35 Bugatti? Sure. Just follow the advice of Robert Townsend, and every once in a while, every day, ask yourself, is what I'm doing now getting me where I want to go? Ah, Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. And how can people learn more about the museum again? Uh, is the website the best place? Yeah, uh, the website's the best place. Uh, we're closed right now, as is the case, I believe, with every museum in the country. I'm not aware of any museums that are currently open. But uh, we've been closed since a very early March, and uh, the website has got pictures of the cars that are in the museum and on the floor, uh, pictures of events that we have run, uh, in particular on Facebook. If you go to Facebook to the museum's uh, page, uh, you can go through there and you can see uh, some of the stuff that we've done. And we've had some very incredible fun events at the museum where people bring cars in and we have speakers in and uh, just do some silly things with slot cars or sim racing or what have you. Nice. So the museum's website's the place to find out more. Absolutely. And that website is nemsmuseum.com. Check it out. I have no doubt that we're all going to come through this current situation in a good way and it will end and life will go back to normal. Make a point to check out the website in the meantime. Head it to your bucket list. This is a place you should go and check it out if you love motorsports because it's a fantastic place. And a big shout out to my good friend, Doug Stokes, for introducing me to Dick. Doug has introduced me to so many spectacular people. Another home run, Doug. Thank you very much. Dick, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and your amazing life. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, this is Mark Green. If you love the Cars Yeah podcast, I have something new for you. I've teamed up with Keith Martin, a collector car market expert and the editor of Sports Car Market Magazine to create the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast. Buy, Sell, Hold is the essence of collecting. Together, we take you on an educational ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so you know when to buy, sell, hold. We talk with seasoned experts, who buy, sell, and hold investment vehicles, and they'll share their insider secrets on how they make their buying decisions when it comes to making these important investments. You'll find the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast on the Cars yeah! website, on the Sports Car Market website, and if you're a podcast app subscriber to Cars yeah! Buy, Sell, Hold will come right to your mobile device, just like the Cars yeah! podcast, automatically. Join Keith Martin and me on a great new venture on the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.